Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, hello, everyone. Before we get into this week's message, I want to start by taking the time to honor Pastors Benji and Jen. This is technically the last day of Pastors Appreciation Month. Um, So I figured we would just get to brag about them a little bit. And uh, I wanted to start by saying there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that no one ever even gets to see. And if you have been coming to Light Church for some time now, you know how much of a treat it is to call Pastors Benji and Jen our friends and our pastors. And one way that we can show our appreciation is simply by writing a handwritten card, just letting them know how much they've done, how much uh, their care has impacted you. Um, I know Benji also wouldn't mind a Phil's gift card and for Jen, her favorite nail pop. Um, But any, any of those sorts, it will go a long way. Well, my name is Josh and my wife, Amber, and I have the privilege of leading the youth ministry here at Light Church. Um, So if I say something that just goes completely over your head, don't worry about it. Junior high and high school students will let you know exactly what I meant. Just take them to some in and out and they'll give you the whole rundown of the message afterwards. Well, we just wrapped up an incredible series called Future Church. And for me, it's been incredible because I'm a person who loves a takeaway. I need to know what to do next. I need a one, two, three. How am I going to live this out? And the practices that we have got to attempt throughout these past weeks have been phenomenal. Uh, for those of you who may be new to faith or you're just checking out why in the world are people meeting weekly, maybe two times a week in order to talk about this man named Jesus. Uh, if you're in that space right now, I want to say what a week to be joining us today. Um, I know it's Halloween, but that doesn't mean Jesus is taking a break. He's still present. Uh, and he still wants to begin a journey with you as well. My prayer is that the words of Jesus would impact you in such a way that morning after morning you would wake up and continue to long after why in the world this man named Jesus is worthy to be praised. So the text we'll be focusing on today is in the book of Matthew. This is one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus and the author which is Matthew, he's predominantly writing to the Jewish community to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. But much more than that, uh, much more than just being an appointed individual, he's really getting at the point that Jesus is the King of Kings, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And because this question is one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves, There's no wonder why we see Jesus's audience having so much trouble saying yes, having so much trouble choosing to follow him for all their days. This isn't your typical, what do you want for lunch type of question. No, it's much deeper. Um, If you have a Bible, we're going to get straight into this. Matthew chapter 16, if you join me there, uh, we begin by seeing that at this point in history, Jesus is on the later half of his ministry. He's already showed and performed miracle after miracle 
but still we see that there is doubt filling the hearts of people in the area. Um, but I believe Jesus's purpose uh, was not to convince people to come to him by miracles or performance, uh, but he came inviting people to come to him in faith. So let's get in, starting with verses one through three. And this would be a great week if you just want to follow along in your Bible. We're going to be going all the way throughout chapter 26, verse by verse. So let's begin. Starts by saying, The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And Jesus is correct here because obviously they don't know how to discern the times if they're asking for a sign. Uh, but Jesus replies in verse four, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah. If we look a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law say, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And his response is the exact same. But why Jonah? Why is Jonah being brought into the equation? Um, if you're in the same boat as I am before this week, the only thing I knew about Jonah was the big whale. And that, that was practically it. But we'll, we'll come back to it later and we'll talk about why he mentions this sign of Jonah. So continuing on in verses 5 through 12, I'm just going to give you a quick little summary so we don't have to read through all of it. But what Jesus is doing is he's warning his disciples about the misconstrued teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, especially when it comes to their views on Jesus. And he begins to parallel it with yeast. He says, and if any of you know that do baking, you know it only takes a little bit of yeast in order for the product to be complete. And he's saying that with these ideas of messiahship, with these thoughts and opinions on who Jesus is, any little thing could have corrupted the minds of his disciples. And he wants to make sure that a drastic change doesn't take place throughout these um, opinions. So we find ourselves question after question. They're talking about a sign. Jesus mentions Jonah. He responds with this sign. And then just to put a cherry on top, Jesus asks another question. And if this story couldn't get any more inquisitive, we see that in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Now, this Son of Man that Jesus is saying, he's, it was like his most common title for himself. We see it 81 times throughout the Gospels, and it's never used by anyone except Jesus. But he's asking his disciples, who do people think that I am? And they respond with three different guesses. The first, they say, John, they're saying you're John the Baptist. This would have been uh, King Herod's response. He was a little intimidated that John the Baptist had come back from the dead after having him beheaded. Others are saying Elijah. And then some are saying it's got to be Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
Similar to our day and age, we are constantly hearing different interpretations of who people believe Jesus to be, even in today's society. And C.S. Lewis has this interesting quote where he says, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And he's getting at this point that based off the promises Jesus states, you cannot write him off as just a moral teacher. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he was just a madman. And if these questions couldn't get any more intense, Jesus narrows it in on his disciples. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Now, the you here in the Greek translation is plural. It would have been understood more as who do you guys say that I am? Who do you, my disciples, say that I am? And out of the silence, we see in verse 16, Simon Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, that first part, you are the Christ, wouldn't have been too shocking Uh, The word Christ in Greek is the exact translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, both meaning anointed one. Um, But Peter goes beyond this idea. And he says, you're more than just another anointed Messiah. He says, you are the son of the living God. No longer is Jesus just another prophet. One commentator says in Peter's declaration, He is proclaiming Jesus to be the promised king and deliverer, the one and only Christ. But I had to ask myself, how could Peter have known? You see, this is before the cross. This is before the resurrection. Peter didn't see the stone rolled away. He didn't see Jesus's body raised from the dead. And I'm sure you can relate that when these questions come up, I have questions pretty regularly where faith uh, gets introduced and then people begin to ask, what made you say yes? Why Jesus? Is there something that you feel you have a legitimate basis on why you believe what you believe? And most of the time, I have to admit, I find myself with a lack of words. I can't explain it exactly. I don't have a one, two, three step on how to get people to believe in Jesus. I can share my experience, but that's pretty much it. And after reading this next verse, it became apparent that there's only one way to understand the depths of who Jesus is. When Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Peter responds, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him in verse 17 and says, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Other translations say, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Another commentator by the name of Bruce Barton says, uh, True understanding of who Jesus is and the ability to confess that fact come not from our human nature or will but from God alone. This term flesh and blood is just a Jewish idiom for the like people in general. It's literally all this means. Um, but Jesus ex- is explaining that only one person 
could have revealed the true nature of who Jesus is. No human person showed Peter um, what this truth was that he had spoken. And in youth ministry, I constantly have to remind myself this. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the Savior. Uh, people might say, well, that kind of seems irrational. Aren't, aren't you a pastor? Isn't that your job? And my answer to that would be no, it's not. Uh, I'm only there to set the table. I'm only here to provide a space and create an atmosphere where people can come and ask the hard questions. But when it comes to them receiving God, that's up to God the Father himself. And why I believe this is so powerful is because that means if you're watching online, uh, you don't need to be confined to the four walls of the church in order to receive Jesus. There doesn't need to be one person that blesses you and says, now you have received God. No, right there in your home, on your walk, in your car, wherever you may be listening to this, you can receive Jesus through the revelation of God. And it's interesting that in Matthew's book, he presents Peter, this man who just confessed that Jesus is the son of the living God. Uh, he presents Peter as first the disciple to be called. He's the first one. But then he also says he's the first one truly to understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, we can't assume that the other disciples uh, were completely oblivious to Jesus' authority and the power that he had. They, they saw the miracles, but their thoughts on Jesus' Messiahship may have been hindered by their expectations. We're going to continue on in verses 21 through 23. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But see, in the Jewish mindset, this wouldn't have made sense. Why isn't Jesus conquering? Why isn't he ending all the war? What's going on here? We continue on, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter thought he had the right to rebuke Jesus and say, no, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, Jesus isn't calling Peter the devil. In fact, we see in this chapter that he says, you are the rock in which I'm going to build my church upon. But rather what he is saying is that you are acting like the adversary. You are bringing resistance to the Lord's will. And contrary to what the Jewish audience may have thought, Jesus had not come to set up an earthly kingdom, at least not now. But he also would not be the conquering Messiah because he first had to suffer and pay the price for us. But this is why, because on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And when Jesus mentioned the sign of Jonah, here is why he said this. This prophet named Jonah, who was inside the fish, the great fish for three days, um, was a way that Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. If you're thinking, why did he say the sign of Jonah, this is it. You see, the religious leaders were asking for some sort of 
magic trick, some sort of quick miracle in order to prove the divinity of Jesus. But the Messiah knew, he knew that there was a greater proof of his evidence that was soon to come. So if God's revealing himself to you, or if he has before, what do we do next? What, what do we do with this? How do we begin to walk it out? Dallas Willard has this amazing quote. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe, or even when we believe that we believe. We believe something when we act as if it were true. You know, I can tell myself morning after morning, I love my wife. She's the most beautiful. It's incredible. I could say that every morning I wake up. But if I'm not constantly living it out, if I'm not serving her, if I'm not caring for her, if I'm not living sacrificially in our marriage, then all that is is just a tower of words that is soon going to be crumbling down. But here's the good news, is I believe Jesus doesn't just say believe and then wait. He doesn't do that. He gives us the blueprints so that we don't just say we believe, but that we act as if we believe. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, he says, religion operates on the principle, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But completely different, he says, but the operating principle of the gospel is, I am accepted by God through what Christ has done, therefore I obey. I love the way um, the New King James translates verse 24. After explaining the death that is about to take place and how Jesus is hinting at it here and there, he ends up responding in verse 24 by saying, if anyone desires to come after me. Let's pause there really quick. If anyone desires, he's not forcing this relationship but rather inviting us into eternity. He says, if anyone desires this, to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Recognizing and confessing Jesus as the Messiah is only the beginning. It's an incredible opportunity. And if you are making this decision, we celebrate you. Heaven is celebrating, but it is the beginning. And those who desire to follow him, I believe, must have three attitudes. And I'm not just making these up. We're getting them straight from verse 24. It's exactly what Jesus said. It's a willingness to deny themselves, a willingness to take up the cross, and a willingness to follow. So before we get into these three attitudes, I want to remind us that Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 reminds us that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, especially in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus exemplified each one of these attitudes. So starting with number one, a willingness to deny themselves. I've seen many great examples of this already taking place in our church. For the parents who just recently had a baby and you're sacrificing your time, most importantly, your sleep to love your newborn. For those 
who are taking uh, care of aged parents and grandparents. Those who I was sitting in the chapel this week and knock after knock, I continued to hear people bringing in supplies and finances for uh, the refugees in Tijuana. And every time someone came, I was more and more blown away. And I thought, man, Light Church is living it out. Uh, a willingness to deny ourselves is saying, self is no longer in charge, God is. This does not mean stripping away all self-worth or dignity. In fact, we should understand that we were created in the image of God, like Genesis says, we behold the Imago Dei. And point number two is gonna be a willingness to take up the cross. This is the second attitude. And the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was hinting at when he mentioned this cross. You see, Rome used crucifixion as a way to punish the criminals. And if you were a prisoner, you would be asked to carry your own cross. But rather than submitting to Rome's authority and power, now Jesus is saying, no, you just have to submit to my authority. And no longer will we have to experience death, but we get to experience eternal life. Taking up the cross can look like being integrous and righteous in your workspaces, no longer cutting corners or trying to get the easy way out. It can look like sharing a meal at your house with those who may not think like you, may not act like you. Maybe they come from a different background. Also, a, a great form of taking up your cross in a marriage can be loving your spouse as Jesus loved the church. And then as we get into the third one, this is a willingness to follow. This is a moment-by-moment -moment decision. Every day we wake up, we must choose to follow Jesus. Loyalty in our culture is often seen in sports, as long as our team's winning, or seen in marriage, as long as our spouse doesn't change. And this form of loyalty is only towards self. It's only towards ourself. But in Christian faith, however, our loyalty must remain towards Jesus as number one. Life is bound to happen. In fact, the Bible mentions things popping up, problems arising, but we must choose to follow Jesus day after day. And what does this look like? Maybe it's being open to what the Holy Spirit is saying, how he's guiding us, what the Holy Spirit may be asking us to give up, um, other areas this could be is what relationships do we need to invest in? These are forms where we can say, Jesus, I know I want to do it my way, but I'm choosing to follow you. And if you're questioning Jesus's loyalty, if you're questioning, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm going to give a lot of my time. I'm going to give a lot of my effort. Does Jesus feel the same way towards me? Well, I want to remind you that in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He has already shown his loyalty. He threw out his cards all on the table. And this is why I believe 
these three attitudes, at least for me, are the most important is because now we have a takeaway. We have something that we can go and do, not just say we believe, but we can say, you know what, I am going to put actions to my words. So here it is. One, we talked about a willingness to deny themselves. Two, a willingness to take up the cross. And three, a willingness to follow. So I leave you with this last question. Same question that Jesus asked his disciples when everyone else was giving their reasoning as to why they thought they was that Jesus was someone else. They were all throwing out their interpretations of who they believed him to be. And Jesus looks to his disciples. And it's the same question that I believe all of us need to ask ourselves. Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Jesus, there are so many moments where we're just blown away in Scripture, seeing the things uh, that you did, the actions that you took, the sacrifices that you made. And Lord, if there's anyone here listening to this, and they're in the place where they're like, Lord, I do desire. I know it's not forced, and I'm choosing to follow you. Uh, Lord, would you just bless them right now? But also, I want to pray for them specifically that this would be an opportunity where they can ask the hard questions, where they can come to you with their true thoughts and feelings. And Lord, would you comfort them in this moment? And for the rest of those in here who may call themselves Christians, may call themselves followers of Jesus, God, would this be an opportunity for us, for us to take some time, self-reflect, and say, am I doing these things that you have called me to? Am I living out this life the way Jesus would like? And Lord, I, I want to take some time to thank you and thank the community for all the ways that we have seen your love and your care be uh, shown in this community. I want to pray right now for the refugees um, in Tijuana that we would continue to bless them in everything that we do. We pray that we would continue to deny ourselves, that we would continue to take up the cross, and third, that we would continue to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.